listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Well, I'd love to worship with you. I hope that uh, you weren't just mindlessly singing some words. While some of those songs may be familiar to many of you, truth. If you're wondering about that first song uh, and us running out of the graves, uh, is there any theological uh, truth there? Uh, Well, Scripture makes it clear that uh, before we place our faith and trust in Christ, we are dead, dead in our trespasses and sins, Uh, spiritually dead. That's why we often say Jesus came not to make good people better, uh, but to make dead people alive. And so if you have never turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, uh, then you are dead, spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. And it's our hope and prayer uh, that by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of His Word that you be made alive uh, in Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Well, for over half my life now, um, most of my weeks uh, have had a certain sort of flow to them. Um, we preachers uh, say it this way, Sunday's coming, right? Um, and so uh, that's just kind of the norm for me. I like to get started uh, pretty early on Monday morning, uh, looking at the text for the coming Sunday and contemplating it and praying over it and uh, God working, uh, working me over with it and all of those things. Um, sometimes, however, uh, the Lord and His good grace allows me to take a little break from that. And so that's been the case for the last couple of weeks. I'm grateful for Griff and his ministry in the pulpit and uh, for Dr. Esri last week, uh, certainly partners in the gospel and in shared ministry. And, uh, and I, I, I've enjoyed that. It allowed me, uh, in some respects, to be able to minister in different ways while we were in Wyoming on our missions trip. And so I was not consumed with preparing a sermon to preach when I got back and and all of that. And so while I enjoy a little break from the norm, uh, a couple of weeks of that is about enough, okay? I'm ready to get back to preaching. So um, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in our continuing study of 1 Corinthians. Uh, maybe you're sitting there thinking, when will this study ever end? Uh, well, it is, it is coming to a conclusion. Uh, if you look ahead, we've only got uh, about four more chapters here. And so Uh, Fairly soon, we're going to be wrapping things up, and uh, we're going to be introducing a new series of messages, Lord willing, on the home and the family and our our relationships. Uh, But in this particular case, we are looking at a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. It is, uh, in many respects, a response. Uh, There's been some correspondence between uh, the folks of the church at Corinth and the Apostle Paul, some of their leaders there. And so he's addressing some issues and answering some questions uh, that they have, at, hold on my calls, if you would, this morning. Um, I'm busy. Uh, at any rate, uh, there is this overarching problem. The issue at the church at Corinth is fundamentally division. Uh, they're a divided church, and it was manifesting itself in a number of different ways. This division would rear its head uh, in, in, in various ways as we've been working through the book together. You've seen that. There have been divisions over leadership. There have been divisions over uh, sexual immorality. There have been divisions over economics and lawsuits among believers. There was even division over uh, which foods were permissible or forbidden and under what circumstances. And in chapter 12, 
Paul has been addressing the problem of divisions related to spiritual gifts. It was causing division in the church. And Paul appeals to the fundamental truth of the Christian faith to help teach these divided Corinthian believers about true unity in diversity within the church. And that's really uh, chapter 12. Last week, uh, Kyle did a great job of demonstrating how Paul pointed the Corinthians to the work of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who gives diverse gifts by the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by the same Lord, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the same God, God the Father. And so we see this picture of the Trinity there and the gifts that God gives, give, 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 clear, will always exalt Jesus. Always, regardless of where you land uh, on some of the, uh, the different positions related to spiritual gifts. And I've I got to say, I was a bit disappointed that Dr. Esri didn't just nail that down for us last week. The whole thing of continuationism versus uh, cessationism and all of that kind of thing. We are going to be addressing that uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and so you can look forward to that. Uh, but the gifts will always exalt Jesus and will always be for the common good. Uh, God never gives us gifts so that we can exalt ourselves. Like, look at me. Look at how gifted I am. Uh, that, that's not the purpose behind uh, the good gifts that God gives us. In fact, the original word, the word in the original language is grace gifts. They are given to us by the grace of God, uh, ultimately to be used for His glory and for the advancement of the gospel. And if you've ever done even a, a surface level study of this matter of tongues, for example, you will notice uh, that God would use it primarily for the sake of communicating the gospel. Uh, and so just kind of bear that in mind as we continue through this 12th chapter here today. Now, this morning, we're going to see that Paul continues to address this problem of division over spiritual gifts at Corinth, but he will appeal now to a different image. Uh, the illustration that he used, uh, of course, last week in the first part of the chapter was the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, and now in verses really 12 through 27, we'll see that Paul uses this illustration of the human body, the diversity and yet the unity of the human body. And so let's pick it up together in verse number 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I hope that you'll follow along as I read this morning. For just as the body is one... And has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, and pay attention to this next phrase, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. So it's not like God lays out this smorgasbord of gifts and we get to pick and choose which ones we want. Okay, it doesn't work that way. This is all based upon the sovereignty and the wisdom of our great God. Verse number 19. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, there it is again, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. This is practically what it looks like. Verse 26 says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, uh, and various kinds, 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 kinds. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. One of the unique challenges of uh, coaching a team sport uh, is teaching individuals to play as a team. Uh, in my relatively short career as a high school basketball coach, uh, I found this to be one of the most challenging things, uh, to get a group of high school guys uh, who uh, in many cases were pretty full of themselves, uh, pretty proud of their, their talents um, and uh, their giftings and those kind of things, uh, to get them to understand the importance of bringing uh, their individual giftedness, their individual talents to the team, to play together as a team. Uh, and so individual players with their strengths, their abilities had to be the, taught the importance of playing their position, of playing a particular role in order for the team to succeed. In fact, I had one player uh, who was, uh, was not my most talented player, uh, was not the most athletic player that I ever coached, uh, did not shoot the ball well, um, didn't handle the ball well, but he did have a particular role because one thing that he could do was play really good defense. So I came to him early in the season. I said, hey, here's the deal. I said, you're probably not going to play a lot in the first half in most games. I said, what I am going to need you to do is come in late in the game typically, and I'm going to need you to give me five minutes of fury, I called it. I said, I'm probably going to put you in a man-to-man -man situation against probably their best player, and I'm going to need you to dog that individual until they're ready to quit. Okay? I'm just going to need you to irritate them. I'm going to need you to be up in their business the whole time. I'm going to need you to give me five minutes of fury. And it became especially important late in games where maybe that particular player didn't shoot free throws very well or whatever. And so I'd say, hey, even if, you, even if, you're, if you're playing too aggressively and you foul them, I'm going to take chances on them being on the free throw line. So that's the role I need you to play. And this kid embraced that role. And man, there were times in the game, critical points in the game, I'd look down the bench, I'd call them over to me and I said, I need them five minutes of fury right now. I need those five. In fact, everybody on the team embraced his role because they started calling him fury. Right. He knew his role. Now, if you were to look at the stat sheet, you wouldn't see that he was loading up the stat sheet. Rarely ever scored, really didn't get that many rebounds, but he got more defensive stops than you can imagine, especially in those few minutes that he got to play. 
That was the role that I needed him to play. Well, the fact is, learning to work as one, to think in we categories, is not quite as easy as it may seem. It takes time, and it takes effort, and it takes hard work. It's challenging to live out our unity together. That's the nature of the church. That was certainly the case for the Corinthians. They had a hard time learning to live in unity. And so Paul takes up this metaphor of the body to help them, to help us see the importance and the practicality of serving together, of doing life together, of Christian unity. And so let's look at this concept of the body and Christ for just a moment. If you look at verses 12 and 13 again, where Paul introduces his theme, you'll notice he says, For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. Notice what it says next. So it is with Christ. Now let's pause there for a moment. And I want us to allow that the, the, the unusual way that he expresses the end of verse number 12 there to sink in for a moment. Because we might expect the Apostle Paul to say something like, All the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with the church. I mean, after all, he's talking about the church here, right? He's speaking to, 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 to a church in Corinth. The metaphor of the body with diverse parts is a metaphor for the church. But that's not what he says. He says, so it is with Christ. Why does he do that? Why does he say it that way? Because he wants us to understand, although he's using the body as a metaphor, it is a metaphor pointing to something that is a spiritual reality behind the image. When we become Christians, we do not simply join a club. That's not what this is, okay? This is not just some social club that we've joined, okay? We were united to Jesus Christ by the mysterious and powerful working of the Holy Spirit. And when we were connected and united to Christ, we were also united to every other Christian united to Christ. There's an old song that some of us used to sing. You might remember it. It says, you will notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family and these folks are so dear. That's why we say we want to be a church where friends can quite literally become family. There's spiritual significance to that terminology. It's one of the reasons that, that I, I love to, to travel some internationally. Because even though I'm in a different cultural context and, and the people there eat differently than I do and they speak a different language than I do and they worship differently than I do, we find this unusual bond. What is it? It's our relationship with Jesus Christ. I find that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So there is a significant spiritual truth that the Paul is looking at here. It is as intimate and profound as the union of diverse members in the anatomy of the human body, Paul is saying. Which means to give place to needless division in the church is to contradict the fundamental spiritual reality about who we are in Jesus. And we don't always get this right. There's probably not a person in the room today, a person watching online, who's had any experience with the church, the local church, we would say they've not experienced, at one time or another, some division within the church. Okay, Things just aren't going so well. We're not, we're not unified like we should be. Maybe it's over a, a particular a decision that needs to be made, or the future, or the vision for the church, and various things. And so, hey, understand this. We're not looking and working toward uniformity. 
We are working toward unity. So I want you to see the beauty of what the Apostle Paul is talking about here this morning. Verse number 13 tells us how it is that we became one with Christ and therefore with one another. He says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And then he, he makes some distinction here. He says, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. All were made to drink of one spirit. Now, Paul has already made reference to the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Griff spoke on the Lord's Supper a couple of weeks ago. Here he's talking about the supernatural realities to which the ordinances point us. Baptism, we often say, is an outward sign of an inward change. It's a picture of the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is performed by Christ and by which Paul says we are inducted into the body of Christ and united to Jesus. Likewise, Paul says we drink in the Holy Spirit, which is the spiritual reality that the elements of the Lord's Supper uh, point us toward. The Spirit, the life-giving Spirit that flows to us from Jesus Christ, the fountainhead. So the point that Paul is making isn't hard to understand, although it is vitally important. And here's his point. To be a Christian at all, to have turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, to claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, means to, to be infinitely, profoundly connected supernaturally by the Holy Spirit to Jesus Christ Himself. Every single Christian, regardless of ethnicity or class, is one in Him. Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, Paul says here. Male and female, we would say. Black, white, rich, we're all one in Jesus Christ, made one by the Holy Spirit. This is grounded in important spiritual truth. And so we're to live out that unity. And so now Paul calls the Corinthians, and certainly us, live out the unity that is forged by the Holy Spirit in Christ. And that, of course, is where things get challenging. Things get difficult. You see, it's one thing to say that we're unified, but it's another thing to live it out practically. It's kind of like a new team. Well, you can look at the roster and while well, the names are there, they appear to be unified on the roster. They may be unified in the fact that they're all wearing the same uniform. And you can look at them and go, well, there's a team. But those things alone do not make them function as a team. In fact, I, the, the, the teams that, that when I was coaching that had the most success we're really not the most talented teams that I coached. It, it, they, they were the guys who gelled together as a team and played together as a team. And some would say, just looking at the talent, we really overachieved. Had some teams that really underachieved because I had some talent, but they just couldn't play together. They just didn't gel. They didn't play in unity. And so the same thing is true in the church. We can have some incredibly gifted people, and we do. I thank God for that. Incredibly gifted people. But if we are not functioning together in unity, then we're not going to do all that we can for the glory of God. And that's what Paul is getting at here. And so in verses 14 through 26, Paul is going to tackle two related attitudes in the Corinthian church that, that rear its ugly head in our, in our church even, in every church, that often inhibits our ability to live together in the unity of the Spirit uh, in the body of Christ. Now you'll notice in verses 14 through 20, Paul deals with how we often think about ourselves. Some wrong thinking about ourselves. He wants us to focus there to prize biblical diversity. 
And then in verses 21 to 26, he deals with how we often think about others within the body of Christ. So some wrong thinking about others that can creep in if we're not careful. And this time, obviously, the emphasis falls on our unity, how we think of ourselves and how we think of others. It's unified diversity. That's the direction that we're ultimately going. So let's first consider how we think of ourselves, how we think of ourselves. There's to be a spirit of humility with which we approach these things. I mean, Paul makes it clear, regardless of, of the position that you take on the spiritual gifts, for example, they are to be exercised with a spirit of humility. Never do you see that we're to exercise the gifts God has given us in a spirit of arrogance. Again, it's not about, look at me. That's not, that's not the idea here. And so someone said it this way. I think there's an old song maybe um, that, uh, uh, that Josh Wilson did that said, you're not supposed to think less of yourself. You're just supposed to think of yourself less, okay? And so we're not self-deprecation, beating yourself down in some sort of false humility or anything like that. We're going to see a little bit of that here. We're talking about just thinking of others more than you think of yourself. And so Paul continues here in verses 14 to 20, he continues to use this metaphor of the body with more than just a hint of comedy. Okay, there's some funny stuff in Scripture. You all know that, right? And it's okay to laugh, okay? I know we call it the Holy Bible, but I think Paul uses some, uh, some humor here. He, he imagines talking body parts complaining about their role in the body. You see that in the text? Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong in the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong in the body, that would make, not make it any less a part of the body. Paul wants us to smile at the silliness of his metaphor because, frankly, when we think like this, we're being silly. What a ridiculous thing to say. The question that some of the Corinthians were asking themselves has to do with really a sense of inferiority. It's like, well, I, I'm only a foot and not a hand. Maybe I don't belong in the body at all. I'm only a member. I'm not a small group leader. I'm only a shut-in. I can't go on mission trips. I'm a stay-at-home mom who just doesn't have much margin in her life, and so I can't really, uh, you know, contribute. Maybe because I can't preach or teach the Bible like so-and-so. Maybe I'm not very valuable after all. Maybe I don't really belong. Maybe it would be better for me to just stay home. Maybe it would just be better for me to go somewhere else. Paul says, that's silly. That's silly. That's as ridiculous as, as your eye saying or your foot saying, well, I'm not an eye, so I'm not very important. I got a really strong reminder a few years ago when I had a serious infection in my foot how important my feet are. Okay, now I'm one of those people who doesn't see much beauty in the human foot, okay, especially mine. I'm pretty ugly, okay? I've never been asked to be a foot model or anything like that. Don't suspect that call's ever coming. But I soon realized a few years ago how important my feet are. When you're told you've got to be off of your foot and you've got to be in a boot for a number of weeks and you're rolling out on a scooter and preaching from a stool and everything, you realize that foot, even in all its ugliness, is pretty important. That's the imagery that Paul is giving us here. And so he plays out this absurdity a bit more, even in verse number 17. He says, if the whole body were an eye, think a giant eyeball, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? It's a bizarre image, isn't it? Kind of freakish, right? 
Not a body, just an ear, just an eye, just a nose. How utterly useless, right? The body only functions when the parts of that body work together. It only operates when each part, however small or mundane or apparently useless we may think them to be, function in harmony with the others. And when we think about ourselves like this, we really are missing the point. I'm not as important as so-and-so. Sure, you may not be an eye or a hand or a nose. You don't have the same gifts that I have, nor do I have the same gifts that you have. Look at verse number 18. Again, as it is, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Here's why the kind of dejection and dissatisfaction we sometimes battle is ultimately so wrong-headed. It's God who gets to determine the nature and the range of a person's giftedness. And it's God who deploys them as He wills in the local church. God is sovereign in this whole matter of giftedness and our role in the body. And so it's not up to us to complain that we don't have the gifts that other people might have. Comparisons are deadly in the Christian life. Paralyzing. Our calling is simply to use what God has given us in humility for the glory of His name and the good of those around us, for the advancement of the gospel. It is to use our unique gifts in our unique circumstances as only we can for the praise of His name. I was reminded of that this past week. I was called upon early in the week to come back to East Texas to conduct a funeral service for a dear friend, really a mentor of mine. Brother Joe Anderson was a retired pastor in the church there at Queen City. Uh, when I arrived in Queen in 2003, I was still a fairly young pastor, and my friend, my friend, my friend, my brother Joe and I struck up a unique friendship, and we would often go make visits together, and we would pray together, and we would talk together and share together, and uh, anytime he, he wanted to share with me, I would just soak it up because he was much further down the road uh, than I was. I'll never forget a number of times he would say, Preacher, you're going to burn out. You're just going to burn out. You're trying to do too much. You're going too hard. He goes, I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about. Uh, he was speaking words of wisdom into my life. And there was never a doubt in my mind the entire time that I was his pastor for 11 years in East Texas that he was in my corner. He became like a Barnabas to me in many ways. Um, I've, for many years, I've maintained a file in some form or another uh, that says notes, quotes, and anecdotes. And I've got a number of things in there that Brother Joe Anderson said to me. One time he said to me, preacher, he goes, you'll notice that no matter where you serve, no matter what church you're pastoring, you will always have difficult church people. I found that to be true. And right now, some of you are thinking that difficult church person. Okay, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But then he said this. He goes, you will also always struggle with your own sinfulness and shortcomings. And I've certainly found that to be true. And he said, but you will also always find that you have a loving, merciful, gracious God who will help you in all that. <laughs> and I found that to be true. So one of the things about Brother Joe that makes him unique is that I got to see some of the phases of his life and ministry. And so by the time I got to know Brother Joe, he hired from full-time pastoral ministry. He had pastored a number of churches 
uh, mostly here in Texas. God had used him in a unique way in those roles, and uh, his body was beginning to fail, and his energy just wasn't there for him to maintain a full-time pastorate. And so he started doing pulpit supply and had done a couple of short interims and things of that nature. And then God opened a door of opportunity for him to use a unique set of skills that he had to lead a volunteer team of church builders. And so a lot of these retired guys, they had RVs and things. And they would travel all over uh, Texas and Louisiana and parts of Arkansas and different things. And they would do remodeling projects for churches and take on small building projects and things of that nature. And so Brother Joe led that team for about 11 years until finally he couldn't get up and down a ladder anymore. And he goes, well, I guess it's time for me to hang up my hammer. You would think, well, he would be frustrated by that point, right? He would just sit and pout. No, he became an incredible prayer warrior, even in ways that he hadn't been before. And so you may be one of those people. You're sitting there going, well, there, there's things that I used to do I can't do anymore. Hey, same thing is true for me. All right? I'm right there with some of y'all who would say, I can get down on the floor with those kids. I just can't get back up, right? So there's things maybe that you feel like you can't do now that maybe you once did. That doesn't mean you're useless. That doesn't mean God wants you to sit on a shelf somewhere and do nothing for the rest of your days. Do what you can with what you've got for the glory of God and use the giftedness that God has given you, the passions and the talents and, and all of those things. And so we see this beautiful diversity, beautiful diversity. So maybe you're not gifted like someone else and you feel like you're not important. I want you to see here, there is a beautiful, valid diversity in the body of Christ as God has organized and ordained it to be. And we are not to exclude ourselves because we don't think we have the gifts that we see in others. That's the big idea here. Paul brackets this entire section with virtually the same statement in verses 14 and 20. If you look at them together, he doesn't want us to miss the point. Verse 14 says, The body does not consist of one member, but many. We need each other. Verse number 20. Here it is again. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Let me translate that for you. Okay? This is the mic version for just a moment. It's not all about me. It's not all about you. It's not all about any one of us individually. The truth is, some of you are gifted. Many of you, if not most of you, are gifted in ways that I am not. And while I may have some gifts that you don't have, God has put us together for a reason. Some of you can minister to people in ways that I never could. And I suspect that there are some people that I could minister to in ways that you couldn't. I'm reminded of this when I, I think about a guy named Dan Robinson who was in one of the first churches where I served on staff. Dan had been an over-the-road truck driver for most of his career. He retired from that. And during the time that he was transitioning and things, God just really got a hold of his heart and, and God kind of planted this seed within his heart to, to launch a ministry called Over-the-Road Evangelism. So he and his wife bought an RV and they began to just drive the highways of our country. And they began to minister to truckers. And he would go back to some of those same old greasy spoon truck stops and he would sit across from these truck drivers and he would minister to them in ways I guarantee you I never could. He got him a set of tools because he was a diesel mechanic too. And he would go around. I mean, just that, that was his ministry. That was his mission field. And I told Dan one day at a missions conference, I said, Dan, you, you can reach those people in ways I never could. I, I've never been a truck driver. 
I, I don't have some of that gifting that you have. I don't have the unique experiences that you have. And so God has put us all together for a reason. In all of our differences and in our diversity, if you are in Christ through faith, because of the work of the Holy Spirit connecting you, uniting you to Jesus, you are in the body. And the same Spirit of Christ has gifted you and called you to serve. God Himself has ordained your role, your ministry. And just because it's not the same as someone else's, just because it's apparently more modest or less dramatic, just because it's unrecognized and sometimes uncelebrated, doesn't mean that it's unimportant. No, the body needs ears and eyes and hands and feet. We're not able to exclude ourselves when God Himself has included us. And so if you're a Christian, you've been included and you're necessary. So Paul gives us some direction here for how we're to think of ourselves. Number two, I want you to notice how we're to think of others. So if the problem in the previous section has to do with how we sometimes are tempted to think of ourselves as we engage in comparisons, the problem in verses 21 to 26 is how we sometimes are tempted to think about others. So verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, notice the word used here, indispensable. Indispensable. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. And so on the one hand, there are church members at Corinth excluding themselves because they felt that they were inferior. Then on the other hand, there were church members at Corinth excluding others, perhaps because they were prideful. Some said of themselves, I am not needed, while others were saying, you are not needed. I don't need you. That's actually a pretty common sentiment in our society. Our society that, 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 that privileges and, and highlights individualism, where the autonomous self is king. We're consistently told to find yourself, find the strength within yourself, all of those things. So it's pretty easy for us to make that jump to, I don't need you. You're somehow less important than I am. That may be a common worldly attitude, but it is not at all an attitude that fits within the body of Christ, the local church. No member of the body can say to any other, I don't need you. I don't need you. And one of the things that concerns me, 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 me in the cultural context in which we find ourselves is the number of people who are quick to say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I'm just not into his church. That's like saying, yeah, I, I love Jesus. I don't love what Jesus loves. I don't love the church for which Jesus died. I can live this Christian life somehow in isolation, removed from the body. That's like a dismembered body part. That's a concern, right? Wouldn't you say that's an emergency? I mean, if you're, if you're walking on some trail down here in McKinney and you come up on an arm laying there, you're going to be like, whoop, this, something not right about this, Okay. Uh, I mean, so, something's wrong here. And so that's why Paul uses this word, this concept of being indispensable. Look at the extended metaphor. In the body, he says, some parts are covered up and should be. They're unpresentable parts. And we give those parts special attention, carefully covering them for modesty's sake. We don't need to give that kind of attention to the eye or to the hand, but we do other parts. So the point that Paul is making is clear. Those of you who are gifted with public ministries, we might say, those of us who are 
uh, seen up front more and those kind of things, you're not the ones who need to be shown special care, special attention. It's the so-called unpresentable parts. That's how they thought of themselves. And yet Paul says they're vital. They are indispensable, is the word that he chooses here, for the good functioning and the health of the body, and they need special care. I am so grateful that over the last 30 years, there have been people serving alongside, serving in churches where I've had the privilege of serving, who serve faithfully, and most people, by and large, don't even know what they do. I often think about the sound people. People working the tech table back there. Most of the time, we come in and we don't even give any thought as to who's making this all work, right? Until, until it's too loud to you or it squeals or something like that. And then everybody's looking back there seeing who's, who's running that thing, right? You don't give a lot of thought to it. Most of you didn't come in this morning and think to yourself, I, w- I wonder who set all these chairs back up after vacation Bible school. I wonder who cleans the facility, the bathrooms. And there are people who do these things every week. There was a man in the first church where I served as, as pastor. He, he lived right up the road from the church, o- old widower. He'd walk up every Sunday morning, and there was one particular door that he was responsible to unlock, let people in. Well, his name was Homer Marble, and Homer Marble died. You know how people noticed that he died? Because the next Sunday, the door that he unlocked every Sunday for years was locked. Until that time, nobody ever thought, I wonder who unlocks this door every week? Well, that's Homer Marble. That's what he does. So don't ever think for a moment that you don't matter. And if you've ever been made to feel that way, particularly by this pastor, I apologize to you. Because every single one of us are important to God and to the work of God through the local church. Now, there are people in our congregation whose vital, indispensable ministries go largely unnoticed. I think of the older lady who mentors younger women, the shut-in who can't make it to church anymore, but is a, a faithful prayer warrior interceding for, for so many in Jesus' name. I think about the family that opens its home on a regular basis to care for others or the quiet encouragers and the servant-hearted doers, the generous givers, the pastoral visitors, the disciple makers, the faithful helpers. And so while our culture privileges the extrovert and the upfront big personalities, we need to practice extra care toward the vital, vital ministries of our brothers and sisters that largely go unseen. And in many cases, don't want to be, want to be, want to be, want to. As Paul puts it, we are to show greater honor to those that lack it. And here's the thing. This is a gospel pattern. This is a gospel pattern. Think about this for a moment. Christ himself came not as a mighty conquering hero, but as a carpenter's boy who became a wandering rabbi, rejected by most, crucified on a cruel cross. It's the upside-down, back-to-front, counterintuitive pattern of the gospel. By means of a cross, Jesus saves the world. It's also the pattern of Paul's ministry. It was not as the elite Pharisee, the best-educated and privileged status individual that uh, that he planted churches all over the Roman Empire. 
No, he counting those things as rubbish, he said, for the sake of Christ. It was the often rejected, beaten, imprisoned, self-supported, itinerant preacher that reached the world for Jesus. It may seem to us that the guy up front is most important. That's just not the case. That's just not the case. That's what it really means to make a difference for the kingdom, some would say. I've got I've to be that person. No, the gospel pattern is different. It's the unpresentable parts that are vital, that are indispensable, without which the body cannot function well for the glory of God. And so Paul corrects the mistake the same way that he did the previous mistake. Isn't it interesting? The antidote to both errors, the I'm not needed error and the I don't need you error, are corrected in the same way. Look at verse number 24. He points to the prerogatives of a sovereign God who orders the body as he wills. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. God has put the, the church together this way. That no Christian is unnecessary or unneeded. And I hope that truth has penetrated your heart this morning. Maybe you are someone in particular who needs to hear that. No Christian is unnecessary, unneeded in the church of Jesus Christ. God's plan is that the members of the body of Christ exercise special care for one another. Understanding that eyes and ears need hands and feet, that every part needs every other part for the health and the good functioning of the whole. I thank God that we're not all the same. Don't you? Wouldn't that be boring? If we were all just alike? If we all had the same passions, the same giftings? He says, so that in the church, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's how it's to be in the church. When one member suffers, we're all to grieve in solidarity with him or with her. And when one member is honored, we're not to look at them with jealousy, but we're rather to rejoice in the blessing that is received. And this all comes together, finally, in number three, what is a unified diversity. What a countercultural concept. Unified diversity. I think we would all agree this morning that our country particularly is anything but unified right now, right? No, we've, we've, we've sectioned ourselves off in little tribes of thought and different things like that. And there's the right and the left and the, the donkey and the elephant and all the, different thing, you know, all the different things that divide us. We're a diverse nation, a diverse people. Sometimes I just go, can't, can't we, in spite of our differences, in spite of our diversity, can't, can't we be just generally unified? What about within the church? What does Scripture say? How will the world know us? By our love. love, love, love. Paul sums it up well in verse number 27. We are the body of Christ. United. Individually members of it. And so we strive for this balance where both are preserved. Where unity and individuality are both honored and cherished. We're not trying to create a bunch of little mindless minions walking around here in some weird form of uniformity where we all agree on every little thing. 
Some of y'all don't like chocolate ice cream, and you're messed up people, okay? I do. We can't agree on everything, even on more important matters than the flavor of ice cream that we choose, right? So we don't have to walk in uniformity, but we should walk together in unity, where the group does not suppress the individual and their giftedness and their passions and all those things, and where the individual supports and upholds the group. Remember, Kyle made it clear last week, these gifts are given to us so that Jesus is exalted and for the good the common good of all. Paul is saying, you will look in vain at all the organizations and societies of the world for that reality until you look at the church of Jesus Christ. There you will see it. Not perfectly. The Corinthians were struggling to live it out. We struggle to live it out. And yet even here among us, First Baptist Church Van Alstine, sinners though we are, you can still see it. The members of the body of Christ serving one another with compassion and tenderness and love, rejoicing together in the honor that one member receives, mourning and grieving together when one member suffers. How is it possible? Where does it come from? How can you find it for yourself? It comes, Paul says, from being united in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is not a, a country club. It's not a social club. It's not just another organization to, to which you can commit your time and your resources. It's an organism, a living, breathing organism inhabited and penetrated by the Spirit of Jesus Christ Himself. And so to belong to the church is to belong to the body of Christ. And that changes everything. It changes everything. When we see it that way, we will increasingly become less consumeristic as it relates to church. And anybody who's been involved in church life for very long at all will tell you that we in this country particularly are consumed with consumerism as it relates to the church. What can the church do for me? What does it offer me? I don't like this. I don't like that. I want this. I want that. All the focus is on me. Well, Paul's made it clear here. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about us together in all of our diversity, unified in making much of Jesus. That should be our prayer today. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.